Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian, here as always with Michaela. Michaela, how are we doing this week? We are doing amazing this week. Awesome, awesome. It's freezing cold out. Mm-hmm. And I yep. mean, I'm, for Charlotte, I mean, it's really, really cold. It was supposed to snow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stayed in during the weekend and I drank a lot and we watched a lot of movies. I watched a lot of shows. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, same. Yeah, it was super cold here. It was supposed, it was supposed to snow. It didn't really. I uh, just kind of rained and was miserable out. So just kind of stayed in, caught up on some stuff around the house. Finally got the Christmas decorations uh, taken down. So, uh, you know, it was pretty productive, at least. Uh, did watch, you know, watched a little bit of stuff, watched a movie, watched uh, Death to 2020, which is on Netflix. Uh, it was pretty good. It's kind of like a documentary kind of comedy kind of thing uh so you should check that out if you want to uh if you want to relive 2020 for some reason uh but we did so we watched it It it's pretty good so what about you do you uh did you drink anything good over the weekend or i drank a few things um lately i have been really into seltzers and so um and of course my brockman's gin so Mm -hmm. i've been uh trading some mixers in and um so i found this really lovely like cranberry lime seltzer which makes me feel sad that I didn't check it out before Christmas because oh, okay. it's very, it feels kind of Christmassy, Yeah, but it was cold. So that was, um, that was nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. yeah. So that, that definitely, uh, that definitely puts me in the mood for a drink. And uh, unfortunately I've been mostly dead all day. Oh, well, mostly dead is still slightly alive. So we better go whip up some magic pills just in case. That's right. I think that's just what we need. So why don't we take a quick break? We will get some made up and we'll be right back. So this week's drink recipe comes from the YouTube channel, How to Drink. It is called The Miracle Pill. And we'll put the link to uh, his video in the show description and on our website. So you guys can watch uh, him make it. It's actually a really um, cool drink to make. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a bit more complicated, certainly more complicated than last week, which was seven and seven, which is a whole two right. things that you put in it. Um, mm-hmm. This was a lot more involved. And when I saw the video um, mm-hmm. doing research for this, I was not sure if I was going to love it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I felt kind of the same way. And when you when you look at the ingredient list, it definitely is kind of kind of daunting, you know, a lot of a lot of ingredients and things. But it actually it came together pretty easy, I thought so. Yeah. So not too bad. So why don't we run through the uh, the list of ingredients you're going to need if you want to make up a, a miracle pill. Uh, you're going to need a half an ounce of amaretto, a half an ounce of Benedictine, which is a French herbal liqueur, if you've never had that before, uh, one ounce of cognac, a half ounce of bourbon, and two and a half ounces of cold brew coffee. Um, now we used a bottled one uh, from a local coffee shop here in Charlotte, in our area, but you could use a bottled one. You could just you know, save some coffee from the morning, you know, put it in the fridge or um, just ice something down, just, you know, fresh out of your Keurig. 
Um, so you'll need the two and a half ounces of that coffee and then also one egg white, which is going to give it a kind of a really creamy consistency. So, but really you just, you put all that stuff into a shaker tin you're going to shake it, you know, pretty vigorously for about 30 seconds. Um, then you're going to add some ice and give it another uh, good shake for about another 30 seconds and then pour it into kind of a tall, fancy, fancy glass. And then you're going to garnish it with some uh, shaved dark chocolate. We used uh, just a bar of Ghirardelli and then also uh, orange peel, which is kind of cut up and hung on the rim there. So it gives it a nice kind of orange chocolate uh, on the nose. So um, it's a very uh, nice looking drink. Like uh, Michaela said, when I first saw the recipe, when she shared it with me, um, I was like, I don't know how that's going to taste, but I have to say this was delicious. <laughs> it was very delicious. Um, I was worried it was going to be too sweet because of the amaretto. And mm -hmm. I've had amaretto before and like amaretto sours, right. um, but I was, a little concerned and I don't know why because it's only half an ounce of amaretto and mm -hmm. we really didn't taste it that much I mean I got no. the benedictine so the herbal kind of liqueur piece of mm -hmm. it was really strong you could definitely get the coffee flavor and it's very boozy but it doesn't burn or anything it was mm -hmm. just delicious yeah the egg white makes it super creamy so yeah so it, it went down you know uh, uh, very smoothly it was it was really good to get that hit of that dark chocolate on the nose when you're drinking it. I would like to try it maybe sometime, um, just dumping the amounts maybe of the cognac and bourbon because, you know, a lot of times I don't have amaretto and definitely don't have Benedictine in the, in the home bar, you know, other for, than for making, you know, you know, this drink for the, for the week. So I might like to do that just to see what the difference in flavor is. If, yeah. you know, if you didn't have all of these ingredients on hand, but you had, you know, some leftover coffee or, you know, a can of cold brew or something like that. And you just wanted to make up kind of a coffee drink. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the story of my life. I have like one ounce of coffee over for the morning and I have mm. to make an alcoholic beverage with it. The, right, you just yeah. gave me the perfect, perfect excuse. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, definitely uh, try this one out at home if you're a fan of, um, you know, cold brew coffee um, or, you know, coffee-based cocktails. Definitely give this one a try. So uh, check out our website. We'll have um, kind of the ingredient list and the way we made it. And um, like Michaela said, we'll uh, link to the uh, How to Drink YouTube site so you can see him put it together too so yeah well now we've had our magic pill or our miracle pill right chocolate coating helps it go down easy and right. uh, we're ready to go rescue buttercup so mm -hmm. let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back to talk about the princess bride sounds good spoiler warning for the princess bride if you've not seen the princess bride yet stop right now go make up a miracle pill give it 15 minutes for full potency watch The Princess Bride, and then come back to the rest of the world and we can chat about it. Yeah, that's true. I think um, I think most people have probably seen seen this film because it's, uh, you know, a lot of people's uh, one of their favorites. But this originally released in October of 1987. It was directed by Rob Reiner, um, who was, uh, for about a 10-year stretch there, he was, uh, you know, really, uh, really big in the directing world. Started with uh, This Is Spinal Tap and then, um, you know, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, a few good men, misery, um, all kind of there in that in that decade. So you know, Rob Reiner had a lot of a lot of hits there. And you go time. from Princess Bride to Misery. That is that's <laughs> right, that's yeah. that's a range, man. That's right. <laughs> Qu quick into the drama, but, but yeah. So it's directed by him, and then it stars uh, a very young, which I was reminded of when I watched it this weekend. How young all these people looked. Uh, but Carrie Elway's, uh, Robin Wright, uh, Mandy Patinkin. Um, and, you know, then a whole just slew of other uh, really great uh, cast members we'll kind of touch on as we go through the story. But 
but yeah, a lot of a lot of um, kind of first film or first you know bigger film roles for a lot of these people. Um, and Absolutely. This, uh, and this was uh, nominated for one Academy Award. It was nominated for Best Original Song, but it did not win. Right. Uh, yeah, Mark Knopfler actually from Dire Straits. He oh, okay. uh, wrote the. He did the music for Princess Bride, and in the credits you can hear the song, and oh, it's okay. uh, yeah. it's lovely. It's it's a really everyone's heard the kind of the the hook on it um mm -hmm. and then he you know he added lyrics and the lyrics version shows up at the end um yep and this uh was written um by william goldman mm -hmm. and yep. it was it's a book that he actually wrote and in the book it's really kind of interesting because he talks about s morgenstern being the writer and he's only uh annotizing this novel into the good parts Mm -hmm. And that's totally not true. There is no S. Morgenstern, but they still, you know, you can still write to the publishing company and ask for extra uh, pieces of work that have been written to annotize this. It's really kind of neat. Um, mm -hmm. And he puts in his own commentary into this, which I think is really interesting because as we jump into what happens in the movie, um, there's a lot of in and out with people reading the book, right? So mm -hmm. it's a story yep. within a story. And the book was actually kind of annotated similarly, where you'd have action that was in the story between Buttercup and Wesley. And then it would, you know, there'd be another note from the author who's kind of annotizing it. So it was really, really interesting. Uh, and I thought really mm -hmm. beautifully done because it paid homage really nicely to the, um, to the writer who actually wrote the screenplay as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it kind of goes back and forth. So the movie is basically the telling of this uh, storybook. Um, and, you know, we get that right away. So the the start of the movie, it starts, you know, you hear kind of a, a young boy coughing and you see, see a video game being played. And then you see a, a young uh, Fred Savage, you know, laying in bed there. His mom's coming in saying, oh, you know, how are you feeling? Uh, so so clearly we see he's, uh, he's getting the day off school, but she tells him his grandpa's coming to, to read him a story. And uh, he's like, ah, does, you know, he comes in, he pinches my cheek, you know, can you just tell him to come back another time? You know, I'm, I'm not in the, not in the mood to, uh, to have grandpa come, uh, but his grandpa comes in and, you know, tells him that he's there to read him a story and, uh, you know, you know, Fred Savage, you know, he's, he's not looking, not looking forward to it. He'd rather be playing his, uh, his, uh, video game there. Yeah. And the granddad is, uh, played by F Peter Falk and, um, really, he was supposed to look, I think, older than he actually does. Um, he mm -hmm. wanted a whole bunch of prosthetics, I guess, added to his uh, face to make oh, okay. him look even more old and crotchety. But he does this great kind of, you know, television my day was called books. <laughs> and so I'm going to read this book to you. And I read it mm -hmm. to my son, your dad, and now I'm going to read it to you. And and yep. he's like, oh, okay, well, I can, he, he can't get out of it. So he's like, well, I'll try and stay awake. But he does ask you know, what kind of book is it? Are there any sports? Mm -hmm. And, right. you know, he's like, are you kidding? There's fencing, fighting, revenge, mm -hmm. true love, miracles. Yeah. I mean, he, makes, he really does a hard sell. And uh, I don't know, it worked because the first time I saw this, I was probably nine or 10 years old. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he, you know, he pushes the uh, hard sell on it for sure. Yeah. But yeah, so the, the story gets, uh, get started and you know it's it starts with his voice kind of reading into the story you know buttercup was raised on a small farm and and you see uh robin right there kind of running around running around this farm and uh you know she's uh 
she's kind of smitten with this uh, farm boy, Wesley, um, you know, and she's always, you know, asking him to do things. And uh, he's always, you know, agreeing to do it. The only thing he ever says to her is as you wish. And, you know, he kind of, he kind of takes care of anything that she needs to do. And we see them, you know, quickly kind of falling in love to the point of uh, where they're kissing. And then we, we immediately break back to, uh, to the, uh, the boy and his grandfather there. And he's, he's calling him out. He says, is this a kissing book, grandpa? Right. Right. And the grand grandfather's like, you know, you might not mind so much, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not a kissing book. Keep, keep your shirt on. Let me read. We just started. I mean, and when you see him looking at the book, it is literally the first page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. it's like this, this story has not begun really at all. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it's, it's just kind of funny, you know, he, he calls him out on, on the story, but you know, he's like, well, you know, let me, let me continue. So they get back into the, back into the story and we see, you know, Wesley, you know, he's been there, he's been a farmhand, but he's going off to seek his fortune, um, telling Buttercup, you know, he's always, he'll always come back for her, you know, always for true love, it'll, it'll always come back. But unfortunately, Wesley runs into some bad luck out seeking his fortune, and word gets back to uh, Buttercup that uh, Wesley might not have, might not have made it because he ran into the uh, Dread Pirate Roberts. Right, and the Dread Pirate Roberts, uh, they never take any prisoners alive. And so she goes into her room and for days she doesn't sleep or eat. And uh, she says to herself, you know, I'll never live again. And of course the, 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 the kid, Fred Savage's character, the little boy, he's like, murdered by pirates is good. I mean, this is gonna get good, this is getting better. <laughs> and meanwhile, Buttercup is just completely devastated, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it, you know, very quickly it moves off and, and it says, you know, five years later, uh, the the ca- the country of Florin, which is not a real uh, place, um, mm-hmm. uh, don't 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 ask me why. It's not like I tried to find it on a map when I was ten <clears throat> or anything. <laughs> but um, the country Florin has a 500th uh, anniversary of the country, and the king, who's I guess very old, he has a son who's ready to choose his bride, and his name is Prince Humperdinck. Mm-hmm. Um, best name in the world uh, for, a, yep. for a douchey guy. Um, so he has, I don't know how he met Buttercup, but he met her and he has decided that he's going to marry her and the law of the land gives him the right to choose his bride, but she does not love him. And mm-hmm. so she's still kind of in this hazy, you know, sadness um, because, you know, the love of her life, Wesley, he's been gone for five years and she really believes he's dead. And so he, she does this daily ride. And I don't know where this, um, this particular part of the film was filmed, but it is absolutely beautiful. You can see her riding mm-hmm. this really beautiful kind of dark brown chestnut horse down this slope and it's green and it's, I mean, everything is just in bloom and it's just beautiful. But her mm-hmm. favorite thing to do is go for these very long rides where she doesn't have to be around Prince Humperdinck because she does not want to marry him. And she right. comes across these three um, these three guys who mm-hmm. say that they're these, you know, lost circus performers. And they kind of look like circus performers. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because one of them is like enormous. And mm-hmm. one of them is really tiny. I mean, he's That's... very, very short in stature. Yeah, that's right. So we uh, we come up across these uh, these uh, you know faux circus performers uh, slash bandits, uh, Inigo, Fezzik, 
um, and probably everyone's favorite of uh, Vizzini. So you have you have Inigo, who's you know played by Mandy Mandy Patinkin, um, and you have Fezzik, who is you know kind of the obviously the giant of the story. He's played by Andre the Giant, the the wrestling great, and then uh, Vizzini, who's uh, brilliantly played by Wallace Shawn. Um, and it's funny he, he's only in you know kind of the first third of the movie, but I would bet that if you asked people who you know place this movie pretty highly up in their list of favorite movies that he's probably their favorite character i i would guess that it's a really high ratio yeah i i would think so he he has this beautiful timing um mm. and his the script is amazing i mean let me just say the script is just fantastic but that will only get you so far the timing of his you know he has that line inconceivable everything to him is inconceivable uh, so much so that Inigo is like, I, I don't think that word means what you think it means <laughs> because he says it to everything. Mm -hmm. um, but he is, you know, he kind of in the in the shot where they say we're poor lost circus performers, like he's he looks even tinier <laughs> because mm -hmm. of the way it's it's shot. And so yeah. they're like almost like those Russian dolls where, you know, there's a big one and then a little one comes out and a little one comes out, but they're the three humans. Sizes, yeah. It's really pretty funny. Um, and they are bandits and they have actually tried uh, and they succeed in kidnapping uh, Buttercup. Um, mm -hmm. And they take her horse and they grab a, um, like a patch of- mm -hmm. Yeah, you uh, you see uh, Vizzini's uh, ripping the patch off of this thing. And I, I believe that it's uh, Fezzik, Andre the Giant's character, asking him what he's doing. And he said, I'm ripping ripping the patch off this so we can take her, you know, across the sea over to Gilder, who I guess is the kind of the rival rival uh, country, you know, because he wants to, you know, leave her there, you know, either either kidnapped or leave her there, you know, killed because he wants he wants to start a war. He wants wants to get a wants to get a war going, you know, but Fezzik's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't say we could, we could kill anyone. And, and I don't goes, think it's a good idea. Killing, yeah. killing an innocent young girl. And he's like, yeah. Oh, he's like, I don't care what you people think. And uh, Inigo is like, I agree with Fezzik. We shouldn't kill this, this, this lady. Um, mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm, I'm trying to start a war here. It's a long and glorious tradition. That's right. Yeah. And, um, and probably my favorite my favorite line of the movie is uh, he tells Anigo and Fezzik, you know, to to pipe down and follow his plan because Anigo is too drunk to even buy brandy, and Fezzik was, "Where did I find you? You were unemployed in Greenland, <laughs> right?" <laughs> <laughs> which, which is which is just fantastic. His his delivery on it is is great. So, yeah, and in a in a movie full of good good uh, good quips, that's that's probably my favorite. So, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And so they, you know, tie Buttercup up. She's, I think they kind of knocked her out. They didn't hit her over the head, but they grabbed her by the neck. And so they, she's mm -hmm. woken up and she's not really concerned. She's like, you know, pr the Prince Humperdinck is going to find you and every single one of you guys is going to get hanged. Like she's not, she ain't no thing to her. Like she's very defiant. And yep. they start um, traveling across this kind of narrow sea to mm -hmm. the you know the coast of Gilder and overnight um they're sitting around on this very empty ship I mean the ship is really there's nothing on it but mm -hmm. Inigo keeps looking over his shoulder and Vicini says why what are you doing and Inigo says well I, I think someone's following us and so they're like inconceivable and he goes and he looks and mm -hmm. uh Vicini says oh it's you know I think it's a 
a fisherman out for a pleasure cruise in eel-infested waters. This makes mm -hmm. total sense. But the um, buttercup sees that as an opportunity to get off the boat. And so mm -hmm. she tries to swim. Yep, and so yes. she jumps. And uh, and then it gets, gets very intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she jumps in the water. And you just see, uh, you know, Vizzini kind of staring over the, the side at her and you hear the shrieking and and he's like oh do you hear what that is and he's like it's the shrieking eels but you know they only start shrieking when they're when they're about to uh about to feast or something something like that and they're so, about to feast on human flesh yep so at this point it cuts back to uh Fred Savage and his grandpa they're reading him the story uh, and his grandpa says don't worry the eel doesn't get her this time <laughs> Right, because, I was like, you know, what are what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you looked nervous. <laughs> I wasn't nervous. Well, maybe I was a little concerned, but that's not the same thing. Because he's like at the edge of his seat, mm. kind of leaned in, listening to Grandpa tell this story, which at first he could not care less about because it was a kissing book. So it's it's really interesting. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, so he's he's getting you. into the he's getting into the story. You know, everyone else is you know getting into the story now. So. Um, but the, like you said, the eels don't get her this time. They, uh, you know, Fezzik pulls her back up into the, back up into the boat. And I think this time they kind of, kind of tie her up and they keep going, you know, overnight and they, you know, wake up in the next morning and that, uh, that mysterious boat behind them is still following, following close, but they're coming up. They can see off in the distance, their destination, uh, which is. The Cliffs of Insanity! That's right. These cliffs are just absolutely massive, but. But, you know, um, Vizzini's not too worried about it. He's like, we can pull right up to the cliffs. Um, this boat behind us, he's going to have to go around all day to to get over to the port. But we have a giant with us. So they pull right up to the cliffs. And you see, you know, Fezzik is packing everyone on. He's, you know, got the got the three of them, you know, Buttercup. And then Anigo and Vizzini kind of strapped to him. And he's just, you know, pulling his way up this rope, up this, you know, giant mile-high cliff. Right, right. But to their complete and utter uh, disbelief, uh, there's a man in black who mm -hmm. it kind of jumps out of his boat, I guess, and is starting to follow them. And he mm -hmm. is much smaller. I mean, he looks like a normal person compared to Fezzik, who's mm -hmm. uh, Andre the Giant, right? And he is gaining on them. I mean, he is climbing hand over hand and you know, then Fezzik and Vizzini start to get into an argument because Vizzini's like, I'm just going to have to find another giant. You were this great slobbering thing and yet this guy's <laughs> gaining on you and he's like, I'm carrying four people and he's only <laughs> carrying one. It's not fair. Mm -hmm. And um, and so when they get to the top, of course, you know, it takes them a, a few seconds to get everybody off because, you know, <laughs> Andre the giant, Fezzik's like holding the, holding the, yep. the rope. And, uh, but then they go and Vizzini uh, uses his dagger to cut the rope and they think that this guy has surely plummeted to his death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, so he cuts the rope and he goes over and looks and you just see Wesley there kind of, you know, clung to the, clung to the side of this cliff. And Vizzini says, he didn't fall, inconceivable. Right. So, so, but uh, Anigo says, you know, I'll stay, you guys go on ahead, I'll stay behind. Um, and if he makes makes it all the way up to the top, I'll fight him. But I'm going to fight him with my left hand because I want it to be a challenge. It's not fair for me to to fight him with my right hand. So you get a nice little exchange, kind of with uh, Anigo and Wesley as he's coming up the coming up the cliff. You know, and he goes asking him to hurry up. And yeah, well, he he goes down and he's like he's climbing, and so he says, "Can you hurry up a little bit?" 
you know, uh, and it go, and he's like, I'm not trying to be rude, but this is really hard. So if you don't have a rope to throw me, can you just leave me alone? Mm-hmm. And what well, Inigo is very honest with him. And he says, I can throw you a rope, but I'm supposed to kill you when you reach the top. I mean, I'll let you come up. I will not, you know, I'll let you reach the top alive. But once you get up here, I'm supposed to so- fight you with my sword. And um, they go kind of back and forth because, you know, the man in black is like, no, I, uh, I, I, I don't think I can take your word. And he says, well, do you take my word as a Spaniard? And he says, no. And then he says, you know, I, I swear on the soul of my father. Domingo Montoya, Mm -hmm. uh, you will reach the top alive. And he says it with such conviction, the man in black says, okay, well, throw me the rope. And so it's kind of neat because he does pull him up. He helps him get up and uh, he gives him a little bit of time to rest. And as Mm -hmm. the man in black is resting, Inigo tells the story of his father, who was a great swords maker. And he actually has a sword that his father made. And this man with six fingers on his right hand demanded this sword and wanted it to be uh, wanted it but only for like uh, one tenth its promised price and Mm -hmm. so when he came to collect it his father refused and the six-fingered man killed his father and so Mm -hmm. Inigo spent his entire life 20 years now right um, searching for the six-fingered man and um, you know obviously the man in black shows him his hand says you know it's not me (laughs) That's right. Um, yeah. Ask him. Yeah. He asks him if, you know, the man in black, he says, do you have six fingers? And, uh, you know, Wesley responds. He says, do you always begin conversations this way? Which, says, which I don't is, mean to pry, but do you have six fingers? And he's like, wow. <laughs> and then he shows him his hand. He's no, I, I don't. I'm, I'm good. And so yep. they have this kind of bonding moment where he says, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm only in this gang because, you know, uh, revenge doesn't pay very well and so this this just kind of pays the bills and Mm -hmm. uh the man in black says well you know it it is what it is but let's let's get down to it you know and so um it's kind of interesting because you know they've kind of formed this bond and neither one of them want to really kill the other one but they kind of have to Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they have to fight and um have you do you like a lot of swashbuckling films do you have you seen any a lot of sword you know kind of choreography yeah, and I was um, I was going to mention that because it looked like, and I was really trying to watch and pay close attention to to see if I could find out, you know, where they were using, you know, doubles and things. And it really looks like, for the most part, that it's that it's the two actors, you know, Carrie Always and Mandy Patinkin, actually doing the the bulk of this of this fighting. And it, it just yeah. it looks really great. It's a really nice, you know, really nice kind of set piece in this, you know, pretty quick film. But they take a lot, you know, quite a while to to go through the sword fight, and it's really kind of neat. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's very, um, gosh, it kind of reminds me of like old style, um, kind of like Three Musketeers swashbuckling. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, it's very good. And they both, it's, it's interesting because they both actually had to do the choreography. So there's only a couple of shots that is not either one of them, right? Where they had to mm-hmm. use a stuntman. It's when they're doing these aerial kind of things. Right. But um, they, they actually had to practice for a very, very long time um, to, to do the choreography and get it. And I, I, it's one of my, I really like it because it's not like a dance, but it kind of is because mm-hmm. you have to make sure you're in the right spot to be able to get the effect and sure, to not sure. actually hurt each other. Um, mm-hmm. cause you know, you can still stab each other with those things. So 
But unfortunately, even though uh, Inigo uses his left hand and then in the middle, he switches to his right hand because his stronger in his right hand, um, mm-hmm. you know, he does lose. Yeah, he, uh, he says, you know, he says, unfortunately, I know something you don't know instead I'm using my left hand and I, I shouldn't be. And then uh, they fight for a little bit longer. And then uh, Wesley, the man in black says, uh, I have something you don't know. And that I've also been using my left hand and right. uh, me too. So, so the fight kind of continues, but, but yeah, eventually uh, Wesley gets kind of the best of him. Um, and, you know, and he goes like, okay, well now you have to kill me, you know, just, just do it quickly. But, but Wesley just, you know, uh, gives him a little uh, knock over the head and he's, he's off to uh, uh, resume his pursuit of Buttercup. That's right. And uh, it was really kind of neat. Cause he just, he, he, he is so good. He does this nice quip one of the things that you notice about Inigo when you meet him is he's got these scars on his cheeks. And so mm-hmm. one of the last things he does is he pretends, uh, you know, the man in black kind of slices and it looks like he's going to slice his cheek again, but he's so good. He doesn't, he just kind of flicks his hair. And so that's how he gets him to disarm and, uh, you know, ends up winning. And so man in black doesn't have to worry about Inigo anymore. He's knocked out. And so he, uh, starts to run and Vicini and Fezzik are watching from afar. They've gotten climbed up to like another hill area and they can see that the man in black is still pursuing them. And so mm-hmm. uh, Vicini tells Fezzik, all right, you deal with him, kill him your way. And Fezzik says like, my way is not very sportsmanlike. Like I'm just a big <laughs> dude who can like throw big things. And, mm-hmm. and so that exchange is really neat because you know, the man in black, you know, he, he, he almost gets hit in the head with a giant rock. And Fezzik says, you know, I, I let's, you know, let's kill each other the way God intended. And so the joke is, <laughs> uh, the man in black says, so you're telling me that I, I put down my sword and you put down your big rock and we try to kill each other like civilized people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's yeah, pretty think, funny. Yeah, I think he says, you know, we, we can fight in a hand-to-hand combat. And Fezzik says, so I thought I would give you a chance. Um, but, you know, really, it's not much of a chance. And you, and you can just see, you know, obviously, Andre the Giant, you know, world famous wrestler and, you know, Terry always, you know, just kind of running up and in, into him, you know, not able to, to move him at all. But he does, he does finally kind of get, you know, climbed up onto the back of Fezzik, um, you know, and, you know, Fezzik's trying to knock him off, you know, backing up into a rock, but uh, Wesley's able to kind of put him into a little bit of a chokehold and yep. uh, kind of knocks him out. So, uh, so now he uh, he has uh, Inigo's out of the way, and now uh, Fezzik's kind of out of the way, so he's back on the uh, trail of Buttercup. Yeah, and he comes up to uh, he comes up to Vizzini mm-hmm. and Buttercup, and they've kind of poured out this kind of picnic. They've got this couple cu- couple of cups of wine and mm-hmm. a drink, and you know he says Vizzini's so funny because he says you're you're trying to kidnap what I've rightfully stolen. <laughs> yep, and, that's right. And the man in black's trying to make a deal, and he's like, "You're not. There is no deal. There's no deal." And he says, "Well, how about a battle of wits?" And Vicini kind of goes off, right? Because he Vicini thinks he is very, very smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, humility is not his thing. Um, no, he, definitely not. Yeah, he says, uh, "You know, battle of wits." He's. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates? And then Wesley says, "Yes, of course." <laughs> he's idiots. <laughs> morons and so um man in black pulls out this it looks like a cigarette but actually it looks like one of those um 
I don't know, Nabisco light cigarette things. Um, mm. And it says, you know, inhale this, but do not touch. And he's like, I smell nothing. He says, well, what you do not smell is iocane powder, which is also something that doesn't exist. Not that I've looked it up or anything, but it's not real. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's tasteless, it's odorless, um, and it dissolves instantly in liquid. And he says, okay, I've got these two cups of wine. I'm going to put the poison um, in a cup and you have to tell me where the poison is. And if you are right, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll both drink and we'll see who's right and who's dead. And mm-hmm. so Vassini just kind of goes off on this diatribe, right? He's like, yep. all I have to do, I know exactly where it is, but he keeps kind of going uh, and waffling. He's like, I can't, clearly I can't choose the cup in front of you, but clearly I can't choose the cup in front of me. And yep. uh, yeah, uh, for a smart guy, he's, he's, also, he's very loquacious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, uh, he eventually, he, uh, you know, he pulls the oldest trick in the book and he says, what's that? And when you know, Wesley turns around, he switches both of the cups. Um, and then, you know, Wesley turns back around. He says, okay, let's drink. And um, so they drink both of the, both of the cups. And, they do. Um, but uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out for, for Vizzini because uh, he, little did he know, Wesley had poisoned both of the cups. So, yep. um, and then he goes on to tell Butter, Buttercup that he has, you know, spent the last several years building up a tolerance to Iacane powder. So right. got, the, uh, got the best of Vizzini there in the, uh, in the battle of wits. So best swordsman, wits. best swordsman, uh, you know, strongest and, and uh, now the smartest. That's so. right. And it's important to notice, to note, uh, when we say the man in black, he, he's dressed in black from head to toe and he actually has a, a mask on. Um, mm-hmm. actually when he's talking with Fezzik and he's kind of on top of him and, um, they're having this, du- this kind of wrestling match of sorts, uh, Fezzik's asked him, uh, you know, why do you wear a, a mask? And it's so funny. It's like, he's, uh, talking about 2020. Cause he's just says, Oh, they're, t- they're terribly comfortable. And I just think everybody's going to be <laughs> Every- wearing these in the future, everyone will be wearing them. That's right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, he's foretelling the future. Um, and so, um, Buttercup has no idea who this man in black is. Um, mm-hmm. He has like a mustache and Wesley, when he was a, a very young, young man, he did not. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, she thinks that this guy is somebody really awful. And so he grabs her and Buttercup has no idea who he is. And, but what he does do is he can see that Humperdinck is close behind. So one mm-hmm. of the things about Humperdinck is that he he's a very, very good tracker. So he's an excellent hunter. And so he has followed them. I don't know. I guess the patch had gotten to him, um, that patch of clo- clothing that he mm-hmm. uh, Vicini had sent back with the horse. But he, you know, saw the scene where there was a mighty duel. He saw the scene where someone beat a giant. He saw the the Vassini dead with the Iocane kind of power Mm -hmm. um, holder. And so he is looking, he's still looking for Buttercup. And you can see that he has kind of a a, a man at arms um, who's with him as well as all his men. And Mm -hmm. he predicts that this man in black and Buttercup are headed straight to this place called the Fire Swamp, which sounds really scary. Yes. So it's... Um, it's interesting to know. So, I mean, she obviously doesn't recognize that it's that it's Wesley, you know, because he's he's wearing the mask and you know his his getup. Um, he goes on to tell her that you know he'd he'd killed Wesley, 
Um, but he was also mad at her because, you know, he'd just gotten back and she was, you know, due to be married to Prince Humperdinck. So he thinks that she didn't wait for him. So, so it's kind of, you know, kind of both sided, you know, she was, she's upset because she thinks that, you know, he's this guy that, that killed her true love. And he's thinking that he, that she just moved, moved right on from it. But as they're, you know, trying to, you know, evade, he's, uh, going through trying to keep her away from Prince Humperdinck and she gives him a little shove uh kind of down the sill she thinks that's her uh that's her ticket out of there she's going to push him down the sill but but as he's uh falling and rolling down the hill uh you hear him yelling out as you wish which uh of course you know tells her right away that that that's uh that's her one true love that's Wesley that she just pushed down the hill right so of course what does a girl do throws herself right over with him and so they both end up head over feet like rolling down this hill um and it's it's worth saying that those were that was actually completed by two humans um but they were uh, stuntmen uh and one of them was in a very long flowy wig uh to oh, okay. like buttercup because that might have broken a bunch of their necks i mean it was a very steep kind of fall that's right. Yeah. They get, and they get to the bottom, you know, and they're kind of, kind of there, you know, embracing. And she says, I thought you were dead. And Wesley says, you know, even death can't stop true love. Um, then they're kissing. So we have to have to break back to, uh, you know, the they're grandson and his grandpa, again. grandpa reading the story, you know, they're, they're you have again. to read the kissing part. <laughs> and of course, grand, the grandfather's like, someday you, you might not mind so much. And he says, let's get back to the fire swamp. Cause that, that part sounded great. That's right. So, so yeah, so they're they're heading into the fire swamp and um you know, she's like, "Oh, the fire swamp, you know, we'll never survive in there. Um no one's ever survived in there." And Wesley says, "You know, just just because no one ever else has ever survived in there, you know, we probably can." But he's as they're walking through, he kind of tells her the story of uh Dread Pirate Roberts, you know, how how he was captured, but you know, he was telling him telling him all these stories about this girl that he loved. So he kept kind of putting off killing killing Wesley, you know, I'll, I'll kill you in the morning, um, you know, kind right. of thing. So just, just kind of kept putting it off. But then we eventually come to find out that Dread Pirate Roberts wasn't really Dread Pirate Roberts at all. It just was kind of a title that got passed down from, you know, kind of, you know, swashbuckler to swashbuckler. So right. it wasn't really, wasn't really a person that was this, this big evil thing. It was just kind of the myth of, of Dread Pirate Roberts that was this big evil thing. So. Right. And so Wesley had kind of spent his last couple of years on the other side of the world, um, being the Dread Pride Roberts trying to get back. And, you know, when he did come back, he saw that, you know, Buttercup was due to get married. And mm-hmm. so um, that's, you know, and then he, he saw that she was kidnapped. And so he tried to rescue her. But, uh, you know, the fire swamp is a really interesting place. Um, there's this kind of lightning sand that's like quicksand only drier mm-hmm. and um but they they figure that out um and then of course there are the rous which stand for rodents of unusual size that's right which don't exist right um but we find out that they do exist because you know after buttercup kind of falls into this falls into the sand you know wesley ties a ties a vine around himself and he does a a very nice kind of swan dive into it and pulls her back out but but then yeah so the the rodents of unusual size come out um and they're they're kind of battling battling a little bit but one gets the the best of wesley and kind of gets on top of him and he starts to you know maul at his shoulder a little bit but thankfully it's the fire swamp so you know there's just fire shooting up all over the place so wesley kind of rolls rolls him over and 
this uh, fire ignites and, right. and kind of burns the burns the rodents. So gets right. them taken care of. And the rodents are basically like men in you know rat suits. I oh mean, yeah, they're big. They're pretty big. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, I so, would. Uh, I would not want to go into the fire swamp myself. It did not seem right. seem like a very <laughs> hospitable place. But yeah, so as as they come out and they're you know Humperdinck has figured out that they've gone into the into the fire swamp, so he does the smart thing. He just goes to the other side of it and just waits for him to come out. Um, so so when they do come out and they run into him, Wesley says, "We could we we could live comfortably in the fire swamp for several years." <laughs> right, right. We'll be fine. Which, we know which, where all the problems are now. Yeah. So uh, uh, Buttercup Buttercup was not you know sold on. I'm living there quite as much so uh so she's kind of strikes a deal with Humperdinck says you know I'll go with you well we can get married but you have to promise that you're not gonna not gonna hurt Wesley and of course Humperdinck is you know may I live a thousand years and never hunt again and then of course he tells Count Rugen who's the his kind of man at arms next to him you know take him take him immediately once we're out of sight take him and throw him in the pit of despair mm -hmm. um and so Wesley, again, is just completely defeated because he spent all this time and all this effort into saving her. And she's she thinks she's saving him, but he's just really broken about it. And mm -hmm. so, you know, he's there. Buttercup kind of gets picked up and Humperdinck takes her off uh, and presumably to the castle. Well, back to uh, back to foreign and to the castle. And uh, Wesley immediately kind of gets handcuffed and he notices that this man at arms guy, his name's Count Rugen, um, he's played by Christopher Guest. He's fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. yep. He notices his right hand, which happens to have six whole fingers. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. So, you know, it skips ahead just, just a little bit, you know, so, you know, they're off and going. And then the next thing you hear is uh, they get married. Um, and you hear you know, Fred Savage say, Grandpa, you're messing up the story. Um, but he's not. He's, he's kind of reading the story. So it's, you know, showing, showing Humperdinck and Buttercup getting married. Um, and they're walking out. There's an old lady in the crowd, you know, that's booing her. She's saying, boo, you know, you're a, you're a princess of uh, refuse, a princess of, of garbage. And, <laughs> and, and, those kinds, and those kinds of things. But, uh, but luckily, you know, this is just a nightmare. So Buttercup wakes up. Um, there's still 10 days before the before the wedding so right right and uh oh poor poor wesley you know he he got knocked out the six-fingered man knocked him out and uh he woke up in the pit of despair with uh this really um interesting i don't he's an albino i guess they call him the albino in the credits um but mm -hmm. he kind of looks like he has leprosy as well he's got all these weird things on his face and he's like cleaning up his wounds and making sure that he's healthy before uh, they torture him because they want to they want to use this weird uh, <laughs> this this weird water wheel on him that ends yep. up uh, instead of sucking water it sucks life and so Count Rugen um, the six anchored man he and this albino guy they go into this pit of despair and they work and they you know they tie Wesley up to this machine and they suck a little bit of life away and they're you know he's I guess Count Rugen's writing a book on, on torture mm -hmm. I'm not real sure but um yeah he know. tells him he tells him to uh he said he says something to the effect of you know let me know how how this feels and you know be honest for posterity's sake because he's right writing it all down so be so. honest <laughs> um, so. but 
but the machine's pretty cool. Like they turn it on and you see like this big, you know, this big water wheel start up and it's kind of neat. It's showing the water flowing through all of this thing, but yeah. And then it just has like all these little, uh, little vacuum tubes kind of all over, you know, Wesley on his temples and, you know, across his chest and things. So, right, so sucking, right. sucking one year of life out, out of him. Right. And I mean, the, the idea Count Rogan says, you know, I might go as high as five, uh, but I don't really know what that would do to you. So let's just start here. And um, in the book, if you read the book, it's actually um, kind of terrifying um, because he thinks he can cope with the, to- the torture, um, oh, but okay. he really, he really can. It's pretty painful and it really does feel like, you know, um, I kind of liken it to when the Dementors uh, are kissing Harry Potter, right? Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> he'll never feel good again. And um, mm-hmm. so meanwhile, he's, you know, he, he's getting tortured, um, uh, you know, every other day or something. And then Buttercup has this horrible nightmare where the king died and Hupperding married her. And, you know, she gave up her love and she shouldn't have done that. So she goes to Humperdinck, Buttercup does. And she says, I am going to kill myself if you do not uh, let me and Wesley be together. I do not want to marry you, um, which is kind mm-hmm. of what she should have said in the first place, but whatever. And so Humperdinck, of course, is like, well, how about <laughs> I suggest yeah. a deal? Like, there's a lot yeah, of he, deals made in this movie. Yeah, he um, he tells her, you know, oh, Wes, Wesley left. You know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't interested in being with you. He took he took the deal and got out of town you know, Buttercup doesn't, doesn't quite believe him. So, so, you know, Humperdinck's looking at Count Rugen and he's like, got, got him in the place, right? Yeah. Just double, double checking, but he tells, he tells her, you know, we'll send out, you know, the four fastest ships, right? Write them, you know, four identical letters. We'll send a ship in every direction and we find him, we'll give him this letter. And if he comes back before the wedding, then, you know, Great. you can, you can go and be with him, you know, but, but he knows that he's prisoner. He's getting the, uh, getting the life sucked out of him already right and so he asked buttercup if she would consider marriage to humperdinck as an alternative to suicide and buttercup (laughs) says yes which is great that's what i want in my marriage i want to be my my spouse's alternative to suicide that's great and uh, and so a few days go by a few days go by and in the meantime yeah so in in the meantime you know it's time to start you know kind of getting getting planned for the wedding, getting things set up. So um, Humperdinck, you know, decides he needs the uh, Thieves Forest cleared out, which I guess is kind of where uh, Robin Hood, you know, types live all there. So right. so you'll see kind of, um, you know, his uh, his police force, I guess, kind of, and they're clearing out the Thieves Forest, but um, and he goes there, you know, drunk about, you know, passing out, but luckily Fezzik's there too and kind of, kind of keeps the, uh, you know, the enforcers, you know, off of Inigo and lets them get out of there before they run into any trouble. Right, right. And so Fezzik finds Anigo kind of totally uh, three sheets to the wind. He's not even able to stand. He kind of gives him some soup and tries to uh, tries to talk to him. And uh, Vizzini is dead, but they always had this pact where if a job went wrong, they'd go back to the beginning, kind of uh, like Mission Impossible. And so they have both found each other. Um, Mm -hmm. The wedding is very soon. And it's interesting because the thieves force is being emptied because Humperdinck actually hired Vecini to help start a war. He's the one who hired Vecini to kidnap Buttercup. He really Mm -hmm. wants to have a war with Gilder. And so he is planning to kind of 
strangle, I think he's strangling Buttercup on their wedding night. Um, now that she was not able to be kidnapped and murdered on the Gilder frontier, which was the original plan. And so he's kind of planning all this out. And, um, you know, meanwhile, Buttercup notices that he keeps planning they're talking about the wedding and he's talking about every ship in his armada. So Buttercup realizes that he had never had any intention of sending out um, Mm -hmm. these letters and they kind of have this big quarrel and Buttercup makes it very plainly known that she thinks he's a coward. She thinks he's, you know, scared and he should be because there's nothing she's, that he's going to be able to do They're They love each other and they will figure it out because true love conquers all. So Humperdinck kind of rushes in, uh, rushes through the forest uh, into the pit of despair and mm-hmm. gets, he's really angry and he goes to, you know, where Wesley is kind of hooked up onto this torture device and he cranks it all the way up. So it's- He throws it up to 50 years. 50 years. And, you know, there's this scream that he makes and you can hear it all through the kingdom. And so Fezzik and Inigo are together and they hear this scream. Mm -hmm. And uh, Inigo says, you know, I know that that is the sound of ultimate suffering. That's the sound that my father made or that my heart made when my father died. Who, who, who could make that noise? And Fezzik and him realize that it's got to be the man in black because mm-hmm. he's actually Wesley and his true love is marrying somebody else because it's like the day before the wedding. And so they try and go find out where the man in black is. So they end up um, in the forest and think that's when they see the albino who's got this giant wheelbarrow with him mm-hmm. yep yeah he has he has the wheelbarrow with him i i assume is to go and you know get wesley's body and dispose of but but so they run across the albino and you know and he goes like you know where where is he where is the the pit of despair and before he can he can answer fezzik gives him a, a knock on the head and uh, that that's it that's one knock on the head from Andre the Giant's enough for for most of us so so he passes out so Anigo you know starts kind of kind of praying to you know the sword of his father's you know asking it for guidance and to, sh- to show him the way and things and yeah it doesn't do anything but he ends up leaning on this tree and that happens to be the um, secret entrance to the pit of despair so the door opens up and they go down but but Wesley you know he just had 50 years of life sucked out of him so so he's uh unfortunately he's he's dead so dead dead says the little boy little boy hears these words from his grandpa and he says grandpa hey well well, who who gets humperdinck who kills humperdinck somebody's got to kill him and of course the granddad said what do you mean he he lives and he says well that's not fair and the granddad says, well, it's, it's life isn't fair. And he's like, Jesus, grandpa, why'd you read this to me? <laughs> That's right. Which is, which is totally great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> why, what, what'd you, what'd you read me this for? You know, right. so he's, he's upset, but his, but his grandpa, I think is totally loving it. Kind of, kind of egging him along. Cause you know, grandpa obviously know how, knows how the story goes. But. Right. Right. And so they, they continue to read, you know, he's like, little boy calms down and, mm-hmm. uh, so Fezzik and Inigo, they're like, well, what, what do we do? Because they're standing there at the, you know, over Wesley's dead body. And Inigo says, well, do you have any money? Do you have enough money to buy a miracle? Let's, let's, let's see if we can figure something out. So they go uh, to this shack that's in the middle of the, the forest 
um, mm -hmm. and they go see Miracle Max. That's right. Yeah. And uh, Miracle Max, played by uh, Billy Crystal, kind of opens opens the uh, little sliding uh, window on the door there and is like, what do you want? And say, oh, okay, always oh, dead. I've seen worse. <laughs> and so right. so they bring him in and you know they're going back and forth over you know how much money this is this is going to cost and things and you know they're a little skeptical that he can you know that he can actually help him out that he can bring him back to life but you know miracle max he's an optimist he says well mostly dad is slightly alive so <laughs> mostly dad is slightly alive there's only so, one thing you can do with mostly dad and and or all dead right and all dead you uh go through his clothes and look for loose change Yep, that's right. So, so he's doing, you know, doing some tests on him. He says, "Well, we need to, we need to see what you know this Wesley guy is all about before I decide if I'm gonna, gonna bring him back, you know, back to life." So he grabs a big uh, kind of plume thing for the the fireplace and mm -hmm. puts it into his mouth and blows, you know, a bunch of air in there. And then uh, Wesley kind of gasps out, you know, "True love." You hear kind of, you know, the air escaping back out of his, out of his lungs. You know, it's true love. You know, so they're all excited. Oh, he said true love and. And Miracle Max, you know, oh, that's that's not what he said. He said to Blave, <laughs> which means to bluff. And so they were having a card game, and this guy cheated, trying right. to kind of cheapen the whole thing. And that's uh, that's when we hear from his wife. That's right. Yeah, his wife uh, Valerie comes in, and she she starts yelling liar at, <laughs> at him. You know, she she knows that he said true love, and you know she she's upset. You know, Miracle Max, you know, is trying to trying to play this off, and she goes on to tell him that you know he got fired by Prince Humperdinck and. You know his uh, you know, kind of his confidence has been shot ever since he since he lost his job. He was too nervous to kind of put himself out there and give out you know these uh, miracle pills. So, right. Well, and then Inigo uses that to his advantage, and he says, "Hey, well, I mean, this is this is Buttercup's true love. So if you help me save this guy, we will stop the the wedding." And he's like, "Oh, mm -hmm. I'm on the job. No problem. If it if it humiliates Humperdinck, I'm in. I'm totally in." And so. The, the couple they work together to make the the miracle pill as it were yeah with, uh, yeah which which looks very gross you see kind of this big big uh <laughs> big ball it looks like a like a wadded up like granola bar or something and they're like rolling around walnut. in chocolate yeah it's the size of a walnut and it's covered it's, in chocolate yeah it's not very not very good looking go down easy but yeah, yeah it, it does says, not look so the chocolate makes it go down easier but the uh the only uh the only downside of the miracle pill is that it takes about 15 minutes to kind of kind of fully go into effect so right Right. Um, the big uh, the big question is why did they not just give him the pill right then? Good, good, uh, good they, question. They decide to wait, um, I guess. But um, but yeah, so it's going to take fifteen minutes to work. So they have their miracle pill. They have you know mostly dead Wesley, but they need to need to get out and get to the castle before the uh, the wedding starts. Right. So they uh, they start to storm the castle. They're gonna they on the outside walls, and they see that sixty men are guarding the gates which is a ploy, right? Because obviously Prince Humperdinck wants there to be a ton of men guarding the gates so that he can blame somebody and it even more, it looks even more tragic when, when Buttercup's killed. And mm -hmm. so um, they go ahead and give Wesley the pill and he's all talk, but he can't move. And, um, and so he's supposed to kind of come up with a plan. And so they, they, they do actually, they, they use a couple of things uh, to their advantage. So they have this wheelbarrow and of course um, they have uh, Fezzik and he was given a Holocaust cloak while they were at Miracle Max's. And so they kind of roll him to the front of the gates where the 60 men are and they set the cloak on fire and Fezzik's got this really deep voice. And so he pretends to be the Dread Pride Roberts 
And mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, uh, inside the castle, the wedding is actually occurring. And yep. um, I don't know when you got married, if you had uh, such a severe looking kind of priest. <laughs> um, not, but this guy, not as severe looking as, uh, as uh, this guy, as uh, yeah. Peter Cook. Yeah, he looks super like serious. He's very, he's very um, stoic. And then he opens his mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really pretty funny. Um, but mm -hmm. they're trying to go through the ceremony. And you can hear in the room uh, that, you know, there's a bunch of screaming because everyone thinks the Dread Pirate Roberts are outside, and yep. uh, which is pretty terrifying. So they find the guy with the gate key and they go ahead and open the open the doors. And it's about this at this time when Humperdinck tells the the vicar go ahead and skip to the end we gotta we gotta we gotta hurry up we gotta speed this gotta speed the wedding up yep. and so he just kind of says man and wife and so you know buttercup is there she doesn't really say any vows he doesn't they I don't even know if they exchange the rings at this point but he's saying okay they're married and you know Buttercup is really distraught because she didn't want to marry him. And so she's pretty set on killing herself. Um, yep. Wesley didn't show up. Yeah, that's right. So they, yeah, they get, they get to the gate and I really like they, they finally get up there and the head of the, uh, the castle security is, is there and they're like, give us the gate key. And he's like, what gate key? And he goes, tells, you know, Fezzik to rip his arms off and he says, oh, this gate key. <laughs> and just, <laughs> oh, and just pull. And just pulls it out so so they get inside and they see kind of the the wedding parties running around but you know so they're on the on the hunt for for buttercup but as they're going through the halls of this castle um Inigo sees uh count bugen there with his uh with his six fingers and he knows that buttercup's no longer his priority he's got to go got to go and get revenge for his father that's right and so they kind of run through the castle um they end up there's a, a door that Count Rogan kind of shuts. And so uh, Inigo's trying to get through the door. He calls for Fezzik, the giant, to help him open the door. So the giant, who had been carrying Wesley, because Wesley still has no strength, kind of lays him gingerly, kind of has him hang on to this, like, man at arms, like this. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, this, this big giant. suit of armor. He kind of, right. Wesley's, like, <laughs> like hugging him, like, like holding on for dear life. And right. Fezzik goes, and, you know, Fezzik just kind of pushes the door open. It's, it's no big deal to him. But right. when uh, but when Fezzik gets back to Wesley, Wesley's gone. And, right. And... And he goes, you know, off, you know, running after uh, Count Rugen. So. Yeah. And, you know, Inigo really, um, he had this thing where he wanted, you know, he looks at him and he says, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. And he, he, he really, you know, they talked about it when Inigo first met the man in black. And so we all are, and this is one of my favorite scenes because um, Mandy Patinkin actually had recently, maybe a couple of years before this, lost his father to cancer. And so he said that the driving motivation for him as an actor was pretending that Count Rugen was cancer and that he, if he just could kill him, that his father would return. And so okay. it's a very um, amazing scene because Inigo, you know, he's running after him and Count Rugen actually gets a minute while he's, you know, trying to open the store and mm -hmm. he, you know, pulls a knife uh, or a dagger from his boot. And so when they round a corner, 
um, Bruggen throws this dagger and it hits Inigo in the stomach and yep. he stops. And so, it, you know, this is juxtaposed with the end of the wedding and Buttercup is being led out uh, down the hallway. Um, she's decided she's going to kill herself. So she goes mm-hmm. to the bridal suite and she pulls out this really beautiful dagger. It's really quite pretty. It's very nice, and, yeah. Uh, she's gonna she's gonna stab herself Juliet style and um, but then Wesley is there laying uh, on the bed because he can't stand <laughs> that's right yeah yeah just cool as a cucumber he's he's laying there and um, he says that would be that would be a shame to uh, to kill yourself right so so yeah so so he's laying in bed and she, and she sees him so they're reunited um, we're gonna cut back to the back to the uh, sword fight with with Rugen um Rugen, you know, he thinks that he won he, you know through this dagger um into Anigo's stomach and he's just kind of there and they're they're having their little face off but you know Anigo just kind of keeps repeating you know I'm Anigo Montoya you killed my father prepare to die and it's kind of giving him giving him strength you know kind of riling himself up and they you know go on to have kind of a sword fight but you know Anigo is a much better sword fighter than Rugen is so it doesn't take him too long to to kind of get the best of him and mm-hmm. you know Rugen says you know I can, I can offer you anything, anything you want, you know, I can, I can do it. And he says, bring my father back, you son of a bitch, and takes him out. So he finally gets, finally gets revenge on his father. Yeah, yep. And it's, it's a pretty cool scene because he gives him, uh, Count Rugen actually stabs him in the shoulder and stabs him uh, kind of in the, uh, in the arm. And then he had, you know, given him this kind of jackal smile, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, on his cheeks when he was young and so Anigo returns the favor and gives him all of those wounds back um, yep. to him before killing him and it's just very satisfying when he dies um, I uh, saw this film once in a theater um, it was not when it first came out but I remember everybody cheers at the end of that because it's so right. satisfying that this this total this really awful guy ends up meeting his end um, it's really good. And uh, so, you know, then Inigo kind of goes and tries to find everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. Wesley and Buttercup are kind of, you know, hanging out on, on the bed because he can't move. And so she's, she's telling him that she got married and she didn't mean to. And he says, you didn't, you didn't actually get married uh, because you didn't say any vows. Like, right. It, yep. This, that was not a real wedding. It's not a real thing. It was fake news. And, um, and then Humperdinck shows up because he was going to the wedding suite to actually uh, kill Buttercup. So yep. they have this moment where Humperdinck, you know, uh, doesn't realize that Wesley is laying there on the bed uh, because he can't actually stand. Yeah, um, Wesley, Wesley totally, uh, you know, he pulls one over on him. You know, he's telling him, you know, how good of a sword fighter he is and how quick it's going to go and you know, that sort of thing. So Humperdinck, yeah. he eventually tells, you know, Humperdinck that he'll, He'll go easy on him, you know, just, just throw down your sword. So, and I think Humperdinck even says, I think you're bluffing, but he, you know, he throws it down anyways and they get him tied up. And then, you know, Wesley, you know, falls down on the floor and Humperdinck says, I knew you were bluffing, but at that point, you know, he'd already, already lost. He'd, he'd lost Buttercup and he'd, he'd uh, gotten, gotten busted by uh, Wesley there. And then Nigo shows up, um, I guess he heard the commotion and then they kind of hear Fezzik. Um, they can mm-hmm. hear uh, him call for an Inigo. And so they open the, the windows uh, in the bridal suite and they look out and there's Fezzik and he's got four white horses. And mm-hmm. it's 
it's one of my favorite exchanges because uh, Fezzik is always kind of thought of as a kind of a dunce. He's not thought of as a very bright, smart person. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he was unemployed in Greenland. So, you know, he's just this big kind of dude, um, a very, very sweet person, but not very smart. And so he says, you know, I saw these four white horses and I thought there are four of us if we find a lady. Hello, lady. And, you know, Buttercup kind of, uh, she's just really you know, taken by him. And uh, Inigo says, Fezzik, you know, you did something right because this is we're, this is exactly what we need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And, um, but Fezzik's so good natured. He's like, uh, don't worry, BNY, you know, this won't go to my head. And so they, they, they can all kind of jump out of the uh, tower um, because, you know, Fezzik's so strong, he'll, he'll catch him and, and they'll be fine. And um, mm-hmm. Once again, I mean, obviously, ladies first, so it, it ends up being just uh, Wesley and Inigo kind of waiting um, to jump down. And uh, this is actually Mandy Patinkin's favorite part of the whole film, because okay. Inigo says, uh, now that I'm done with the revenge business, and now that I've gotten my revenge, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about this film, there's so many other pieces to it, but there's so many times we uh, have these goals and it's like, well, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Once, once that you've avenged right, you sure. know, your father, or once you've lost that weight or once you've whatever. Um, and it was really, you know, Manny Patinkin continues to, to say this to this day. Uh, if you ask him about it, he says, that's, that's the best line because it's, uh, it's all about the journey. Like, what are you going to do then? Right. And so they ride to freedom, the four, four that's people true. in white horses, the white horses that's right um and it and it kind of goes and you see uh wesley and buttercup there i think the the sun setting and you hear hear the uh little boy's grandpa saying ah it's kissing again you don't want to hear it but you know fred savage he's he's you know he's been invested in the story he's like it's okay grandpa you know go on and he goes on to tell him you know of the the five most passionate kisses of all time and this one blew them all away and that was kind of the end of the storybook there yeah, it's it's really cool because in a matter, I mean, I don't know how long it took because they're still wearing the same clothes. So I guess this whole reading of the book happened in a day, but mm-hmm. the the child changes, right? He didn't want, he thought it was going to, you know, be a really stupid story. And then he was mad that there wasn't, there was a bunch of kissing and there wasn't enough sports. And then he got mad that it wasn't going to end the way he wanted it to end. Um, yep. and, and by the end, he's like, oh, I don't want to mind so much. And yep. so he he actually asked his granddad if he can come back tomorrow and read it. Read it again, yeah. And his grandpa says, you know, as you wish. So just like just like in the story, and that's how the how the film ends. So, um, nope. but yeah, so so really good. Um, you know, nice happy ending. They do uh, they cover a lot of ground in this movie. It's not very long. It's just just over ninety minutes, I think. So, yeah, yeah, they do have a lot of uh, adventures. What is your first memory of this? Did you? watch it as a kid or no um i think probably my first memory of it would have been probably watching it on uh vhs um at some point probably in the in the early 90s um, mm-hmm. mentioned before i think this came out in 1987 yep um and i i think that vhs um is probably why this film is so remembered so this movie was made on a budget of uh, about 16 million dollars and it made um about 31 million dollars and typically, if you look at kind of box office numbers, um, 
usually kind of doubling the budget is what studios consider to be kind of like a like a break even that you know that it was worth worth it so i don't know you know it wasn't seen as you know like a commercial like failure but it wasn't like a like a smash hit you know by mm-hmm. any means but you know it, at the end of the 80s you know vcrs were pretty much affordable or they were starting to show up in every home blockbuster had uh, just opened their first stores uh, around uh, i think in 1985 was when when they first opened so i think that this was kind of one of those films that you know really got legs in the uh, home video market and then yeah you know you know kind of you know people our age obviously grew up with it then because we had you know more access to it so yeah for sure I definitely watched it as a VHS as well because I was mm-hmm. I was too young to see it when it came out, um, and but now it's it's really developed this cult following. I mean, I've been uh, really fortunate enough to see a showing of it in a theater. It actually mm-hmm. was introduced by Carrie Elwes, um, oh, okay. and so I have a couple of books uh, of the original. Uh, you know, the original book that he signed. And then there have been books about the making of this film. Um, and uh, other films kind of came from this. So uh, Billy Crystal, uh, who played as Miracle Max, he mm-hmm. developed a really beautiful relationship with Andre the Giant. And so oh, the, okay. movie, the movie My, My Favorite Giant or My Giant um, that Billy Crystal is in that's a couple of years later, it's actually based on his relationship with Andre the Giant, which is kind oh, okay. of interesting. Um, uh, but, you know, this film, it's such a favorite, and I've only met a handful of people in my lifetime that have not seen it. It's, right. Um, I mean, it, it's got, it's got everything, right? It, it really does. It's got action, romance, it's a family film, so kids, kids can watch it. My son loves this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a comedy, it's a fantasy. Um, it's got lots of, it's revenge, betrayal. There's a famous right. wrestler in it. I mean, it's got everything. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's, it's kind of interesting too. I mean, it had, you know, this big cast of characters and it was almost all of their kind of first major pictures. And, and a lot of them went on to have really great careers. I mean, Fred Savage would start in the Wonder Years the next year. Uh, Carrie always, I think, won or was nominated for for an Oscar for Glory, like two years after mm-hmm. after this came out, Robin Wright um, went on. Mandy Patinkin, who starred in just a bunch of stuff before, you know, ultimately um, playing Saul on Homeland and uh, winning, um, you know, yeah, he won an for Emmy that. for that, oh, right? Yeah, winning, you know, Emmys for that and things. So, um, so yeah, it's just it's just kind of interesting. He had all of this all of this you know, young talent um, who all performed uh, together really well, and it just it just kind of came together and turned into this you know, almost like its own kind of uh, fairy tale story, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's it's one I, I, I really hope that, um, and I think it's, it, I think it really does sit well. Maybe it's because it's a fantasy, but I mean, just last year, the whole team, uh, the whole cast that, that was able to um, got back together and did a reading, um, mm-hmm. you know, much to the, you know, amazement of, of people, um, right. I sure. mean, it's just it's just one of those things. It has a really beautiful cult following that that will continue. And I hope I I, I hope if you've not seen it, um, you know, send us a note. Tell us uh, what your first experience is like, or what your best memories with Princess Bride are. Um, we'd love to hear uh, hear from you. That's right. Yeah. And if you um, 
if you want to uh, give it a rewatch or if you've never watched it, if you have um, Disney Plus, it's available on there. So you can uh, you can watch, you know, you can watch it anytime if you have a subscription to that. So so definitely let us know, you know, what your what your favorite line of the movie is, because there's a lot of really good lines. Um, you know, uh, that kind of stuff, what your, what your experience is with it. And if you make the miracle pill, we definitely want to see pictures of that and hear how you like that, because we both loved it. It was, it's probably my favorite cocktail that we've done so far in our first seven episodes. Yeah, I would have to agree. And which is surprising because it, it seemed like it was going to be really complicated and, mm-hmm. uh, it's not really, it wasn't really once you got the ingredients, but it was very fancy, but it was That's absolutely true. delicious. <laughs> yes. So, so definitely let us know if you, if you try one of those out, you know, reach out to us on our Twitter, or Instagram, it's at drink the movies or our Facebook is facebook.com uh, slash drink the movies. Um, and you can check out our website, drink the movies.com. Um, and we'll have the recipe up for that uh, cocktail there. So make sure you go and check that out and let us know how you liked it. Uh, Michaela, why don't you tell people where they can uh, listen to our podcast? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere Anchor Podcasts are distributed. We'd appreciate it if you listened and subscribed. If you like what you hear, uh, leave us a five-star review because it really helps get the Drink the Movies stuff out there. That's right, absolutely. And uh, thankfully, I can say that I am no longer feeling mostly dead. So I think the uh, the miracle pill worked. Uh, but now, I, but now I could uh, I could go for another drink. What about you? I think that's a good idea. Let's go storm the castle. <laughs> That's right. All right. We're going to go get another drink and we will uh, see everyone next time on drink, drink the movies. The movies.